Good morning, little children. Yeah, I uh, probably would have never said that to the church when I was 40 <laughs> or 50. But uh, you're not my children anyway. You're, you're his children, and it's fun to be a little child. I mean, if you ever see them play, they know how to play. And also, one thing about little children who know the Lord is that they know Jesus is the answer for everything. And sometimes we get older and we forget that. But, uh, but he is the answer for everything. And let's stand up and, and uh, read something that he said to us. Read it together with me. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life that's in your word, for the power, that, for the freedom that is in your word. And I pray that the presence of the Holy Spirit would be in this place, would be in every person's heart, so that we might receive what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. First question, and this is not a rhetorical question. I would like a show of hands, please. Do you believe that Jesus said this? Oh, almost everybody. Those of you who don't, there will be a, uh, a call for salvation at the end of the service. But uh, yeah, we believe that Jesus said that. Are you glad that he said it? Yeah, I heard that. Do you claim Jesus as your Lord? Yeah. How many of you ever heard of the, of the Jefferson Bible, Thomas Jefferson Bible? Uh, a few of you. Thomas Jefferson uh, did a thing with the Bible. And in fact, if you go to the Smithsonian Institute, you can see the Jefferson Bible. And what, the way it was originally passed down to me, the way that I originally heard it, was that Jefferson had uh, cut out all of the passages that had to do with the miraculous in his Bible. And so, well, in his New Testament anyway. And so uh, he didn't have that there. And so it's this, this Jefferson guy didn't believe and the miraculous. And I don't know if he believed in the miraculous or not. Uh, you know, and, and very honestly, I mean, you know, when it comes to the question of can someone be saved and not believe in the miraculous, it seems I'd be difficult for me because I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and that's pretty miraculous. But uh, last time I read John 3.16, it didn't say God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in the miraculous will not perish but have everlasting life. There are plenty of people who believe in the miraculous and don't know Jesus. Uh, so, but anyway, that, that's beside the point. That, that, that's not what he did, actually. Uh, the information got a little twisted as it got passed down to me somehow. Uh, what he actually did was he went in and he cut out all of the passages that were just Jesus's teachings uh, and left the miraculous stuff there. And he, and he pasted them in and created his own book. 
Now, he didn't have the advantage of, of digital cut and paste like we do today, but uh, so he had to use... He had to use a razor blade and some scissors, cut up the Bible. And, you know, that's, that, that would be enough to kind of get us disturbed with him. Anyway, you know, we sometimes claim to believe the full Bible. I grew up in a group that claimed, in fact, we called ourselves full gospel. Uh, we uh, believed because we were Pentecostal, Southern Pentecostal. And it wasn't that we believed that if, if you didn't speak in tongues and, and uh have the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you weren't going to heaven, but you were just riding back in the second class section, and we were in the first class section because, you know, that's what we, that was the way that it, that, well, come on, be honest. I, some of you grew up in that. That's how we felt. And, and, and others of you grew up in other groups that kind of, that had their own little thing and went, you know, this is, this is the full Bible. This is what we're, we are the, the real believers. But what we really mean is we believe in our interpretation of the Bible. That's, that's what, we, what we'd really mean. And so when we, when we look at Jefferson, you know, we kind of condemn him for what we do anyway. We just don't take a, a, a scissors and a, and a razor blade and, and create our own little thing. Uh, how many of you ever bought one of those, you know, the, the promises book or something like that. Well, that's exactly what Jefferson did. He created a little thing for his own, for his own uh, meditations and stuff. And, and, but Jesus, Jesus told the woman at the well, he said, it's not about the stuff that you argue about. A time is coming and has now come when those who worship the Father will worship Him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and He is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's not about where you worship. It's not about what your pet doctrine is. It's not about how you dress. It's spirit and in truth. And sometimes, you know, we might have a tendency to go, yeah, yeah, see, it says it right there, truth. So we have the truth. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about your doctrinal truth. He's talking about how you live. That was good. He's talking about how you live. And, and so we may condemn Jefferson for such a sacrilege, but I would suggest that he was simply more honest than us. Jesus says to love our enemies. And of course we agree. We just don't agree. Yeah, you, you know, Jesus says to love our enemies. Yes, no. <laughs> we we, we, we want to have it both ways. We want to talk the talk, but not walk the walk. So let's talk a little bit about walking the walk this morning. We tricked y'all in here. We did this graduation thing. And then I'm bringing this sermon. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your... Whoa, whoa, let's just stop right there. Because most of us don't get past that point. Love your neighbor. Never mind loving your enemy, because as long as the enemy is over there somewhere, they're not all that hard to love, quite frankly. The enemy doesn't play their, their music too loud. Uh, the enemy doesn't have a party till 2 o'clock in the morning, right next to your, your house. The enemy doesn't park in the wrong place. The enemy doesn't have a dog that barks all night. Your neighbor does. And, and as hard as it is to love that neighbor, it's even harder to love those with whom you live, your family. I grew up in a preacher's home, and uh, 
People would, when, when I was a kid, people would come to me all the time and they'd go, man, your dad is a great man. Your, your dad is a wonderful man. And I would go, who are you talking about? You don't live with him. You know, at, at night, he, he, he'd run around in his skivvies, and he'd be crumbling up cornbread and a, a big thing of buttermilk, and he'd put onions in there and salt and pepper, and he'd stir it up, you know. That was, we call that Vitamix in those days. And he, he'd stir it up. He'd drink that thing down, and you could smell it all over the house. And there were other things that he would do. You know, I, I'm, I'm just going to be honest. You know, preacher scratch. <laughs> anyway, I go, who? I, I was in my 40s before I began to realize they might be right about my dad. And I was probably in my 50s before I went, my dad's a great man. Really is. Those people that you're close to. Uh, as a parent, you know this, but as a pastor, well, actually, I know it both ways. As a pastor, I'll have somebody come to me. I used to have somebody come to me. I'm retired now. It's Kevin. No worry about it. But I would have people come to me who've been in the church for a long time, and they'd be real excited. Oh, pastor, I went to hear uh, so-and-so or listen to somebody on the radio, and let me share with you what they said. And then they'd tell me what they said and what they were so excited about, and I would go, I've been saying this for the last two decades. <laughs> with you sitting there, and as a parent, I mean, you get, as, as a parent, you get it, right? You know, you'll, you'll tell your kids something, tell them something, tell them something, and it just, and then some athlete says it, or some actor, or some singer, or somebody says it, or maybe just a friend of theirs, and they come and, and they got, they, they tell you what, what is, what's what now? And you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you finally heard it. Jesus says that the prophet had, I hear you, Justin. <laughs> G, G, you get what goes around comes around, buddy. That's an inside joke, but I've heard his parents testify about him. Uh, Jesus said a prophet doesn't have any honor in his own hometown. And if Jesus didn't have any honor in his own hometown, then we, you know what the definition of an expert is? If, you, if you've been here long enough and we're actually listening, you've heard me say this before, but uh, definition of an expert is someone from the next town. That's what it is. There's something about a missions trip. Something about a missions trip. People uh, uh, will go on a missions trip, and they'll come back, and they're, and they're just so excited. All oh, those people were so wonderful. It was, it was just so great working with them. It was such a pleasure to serve them. You should have been there. I mean, their, their hearts, they were so grateful, and they were, it, it, was, it, was, just, it was just a wonderful time. And, and then they tend to come back here and go, well, what's wrong with these people? And I would tend to think, it's not what's wrong with these people. It's you only spent three days with those people. 
And not only did you just spend three days with those people, you spent three months before you went prepping for it, praying for it, studying for it, preparing your heart to serve. And so you went, and wow. You know, sometimes one thing about mission trips is it's kind of cool. Sometimes people go on a mission trip, and they have spent, they've spent 15 years in church like this. And to go on a missions trip and to get in a worship service, <laughs> oh, glory to God. And then they come back to church and because there's just something that's freeing about not caring what other people think. But, it, but anyway, you know, they've prepared to go on a missions trip and it's been so wonderful and those people are so wonderful. What if you prepared to go to work Monday the same way you prepare to go on a missions trip? What if, what if you went, I have a missions trip I'm going on this week. It's in downtown Nashville, and, and I'm going to have to drive through traffic to get there, but praise God he's sending me on a mission. And I'm going to share the love of Jesus when I get there. Uh, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And for the most part, we do half of that. It's actually pretty easy to love that enemy, the enemy that's out there somewhere. But that's not the enemy Jesus is talking about. The enemy Jesus is talking about is the one that's right here. Yeah. And so the question is, who is my enemy? And actually, that's not really the question. The real question is this. Who do I think is my enemy? And of course, let's just get this out of the way uh, right, right off the bat. Of course, the real enemy isn't people. It's, it's, it's never, it's not people. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's, that's the real enemy, but that Jesus is not telling us to love the powers of this dark world. He, he's not telling us to love the spiritual forces of evil in, in the heavenly realms. He's, he's, telling, he's talking about people. He's talking about us loving people that we think of as our enemy. So who do we think is our enemy? I love the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. How, how, many of you, how many of you love the parable of the Good Samaritan? That's a good, that's a good parable. It's a good, good parable, actually. Uh, well, let me see if I can mess it up for you. Let me re reshape it the way it might be told if Jesus were telling it today. There was this undocumented immigrant who was sat upon by, I don't know, take your choice, whatever, whatever you want, uh, uh, whoever the bad guys are in your mind. It was set upon by the bad guys. And uh, was beaten, robbed, left for dead by the side of the road. And uh, this famous preacher passed by and saw the person laying there and 
just kept on walking. Now, I don't know why they kept on walking. You know, they may have had uh, an important lunch or something to go to. But uh, so, I, you know, I'm not necessarily putting this on anybody, but let me, I, some reasons maybe why. You know, one of the reasons why they might not have stopped is because there weren't any cameras to document the helping of this. You liked that one, did you? Well, let's see about the next one. Uh, or maybe they didn't stop by because, I mean, you know, poor people are only poor because they want to be. And, you know, he's only there because, or, or maybe it's very, maybe he didn't stop by because it's very obvious that this person has not been, did not read my book about how to live their best life. Okay, I, you're, you're going to enjoy this even more as we go forward. Uh, so it passed on by. And then a, uh, a prominent politician passed by and, and saw the person laying there. And uh, he or she kept on walking as well. Now, once again, I don't know why they did, but uh, maybe some reasons. One of the reasons may be maybe there is a camera nearby and I don't want to be seen. I mean, this is an undocumented here. I, I, it, <laughs> You know, I hate that word when it's left alone, undocumented, and it's now been left alone very often. It's a person. It's a human being. So it's an undocumented human being there. And, I, you know, I don't want to be seen, you know, as easy on immigration or something. I won't play well in my base. And uh, so just, I, I better just keep on, I better just keep on moving. Better just keep on walking. It gets even better. A uh, radical Islamic transvestite <laughs> comes by, sees the person laying there, gets down, pours in the oil and the wine, comforts, lifts them up, takes them to a place of safety, place of refuge. Say, uh, are you trying to press all the hot buttons there are? Yes. Yes, because that's exactly what Jesus was doing when he told this parable. I mean, we, we, we see the parable of the Good Samaritan represented. The Good Samaritan's always got these lovely robes on and lovely beard. Beard's supposed to be white, but... I got that one. A lovely beard and lovely robes, nice turban and everything. Well, look, that is not the image that popped into the minds of the people that Jesus was speaking to when he said Samaritan. The image they came up with did not look like that at all. We feel like people are enemies when we feel threatened by them. If you don't feel threatened by someone, you don't look at them as an enemy. Whether they're on the other team or from the other nation or from the other whatever, when we feel threatened, then we feel like we've got an enemy. And we live in a culture of fear. Because fear sells. And whatever sells is, is green light all the way in the culture that we live in. 
That's why we have the most guns. That's why we have the most bombs. That's why we have the most worldly power and influence. That's that because, because we live in a culture of fear and we, and we eat it up. But the psalmist says this, the silly psalmist, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we are risen and stand upright. That last song that we sang, you remember what it was? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always on by my side. It's not on my side, because sometimes he's not, because we're not on his side. But anyway, by my side. He's always by our sides, regardless. And I intentionally asked for that song to be sung, because we sing it. And yet, Spirit and truth, people. Truth. We don't really necessarily believe. Well, yeah, I do. I got it on my license plate. Says, God, I trust on my license plate. Well, if you got the numbers first and the letter saying it says in God, I trust. But the bumper sticker says this car is defended by Smith and Wesson. <laughs> See, the thing is. It cannot be God and. It can only be God or. We serve a jealous God. And, and, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying, you know, don't own a gun. I'm not, I'm not making a political statement at all. I'm just saying, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And, and, and it's okay to sing that song and and not really be fully invested, even though you're wanting to be, because you spend mo we spend most of our life in a culture that's screaming at us, be afraid, be afraid, buy more pills, buy more protection, get more insurance, you know, be afraid, screaming at it. And so, you know, if we, if we actually happen to come together and spend a, a couple of minutes singing, reminding ourselves that God is on our side, that we don't have to be afraid. That's okay. That's a good thing to do. But we, we have these enemies. We're fearful of their influence on culture. Jesus did not come to redeem culture. He didn't die on the cross to redeem culture. He came to redeem people. Because culture is a temporary thing. It is passing away. The world and its desires are passing away. That's not Ronnie. That's, that's the Bible saying that. But people, people are eternal beings. The culture Jesus came into was as bad as it can get. I mean, I mean it really was. Now think about it. Uh, Isaiah says he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. You don't get much more, much more tenuous and tender than being born to a refugee couple in a, in a stable with animals all around and having a king trying to kill you. As far as the, the, the ground in which he was planted, they were an oppressed, occupied nation. And the religious leaders of the day, oh, they knew all kinds of stuff. They had 
all of the symbols and the power and the influence. What they didn't have was the ability to recognize God when he stood in their midst, did wonderful things and spoke to them face to face. It's a dry culture, but, but he didn't really address the culture he was in. There's, there's virtually nothing in, in, in Jesus's teachings about we need to change this culture. He wanted to change people. He wanted to change hearts. C.S. Lewis uh, said something, and I, I didn't take the time uh, to find it, to look it up, uh, but he's, he says it far more eloquently, but I'll put it, I'll put it in Ronnie words. He says, you have never rubbed shoulders with a mere mortal. Every person that you come in contact with is an eternal being that someday will either be a being so glorious and magnificent that if you were to see them now, you'd be tempted to fall down and worship, or they will be a horror so unimaginable that if you were to see them now, you wouldn't be able to get that image out of your mind. And every interaction you have with them is nudging them in one direction or the other for eternity. There are things in our culture that offend me. There are things in our, our culture that offend you. And they may even be the same things at times. Some of them are, some of them aren't, I would dare say. But whether they offend God or not, I don't know, because I'm not him. I don't claim to be him. We're fearful of their influence in the church. Oh, yeah, no, we can't, can't, can't let that, that kind of person in the church because you know what that, what that might do? Little leaven works through the... Through, the, through the, whole, the whole batch, yeah. Jesus told another parable that I was reading last week that I kind of thought, you know, we usually just blitz past this thing. This is pretty important. It's a parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. There was a, a, a landowner who planted good seed in a field, plant, planted wheat, good seed in a field. And during the night, the enemy came and planted weeds, planted tares. And, and those who were uh, servants, really servants, of the landowner came to him and said, Sir, didn't you plant good seed in your field? He said, Yes, yes, I did. Well, there are weeds in there now. What do you think about that? He says, Well, I know what happened. He said, uh, An enemy came during the night and planted those, those weeds. And then they said, You want us to go pull them up? He said, No. Because while you're pulling them up, you're going to pull up some of the good stuff too. And oh, we have spent centuries pulling up weeds and pulling up good stuff and getting rid of all of it when God has not commissioned us to do that. He said, when the time comes, I'll send angels and they'll do it right. How many of us are angels? You may be mama's little angel, but you're not that angel. And I'm not either. I, the disciples, we, we come by it honestly, the disciples, for crying out loud, tried to keep little children from coming to Jesus. Huh, how about that? And Jesus said, no, no, th this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
When we give in to fear, we're surrendering to the real enemy. We are surrendering to those, those spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But the psalmist says this, the silly psalmist, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Should I say this? If I say it, it'll get tested. Yeah, I'm old. I'm not afraid of anything. I'm really not. I, I used to be afraid of a lot of things. But as I walked with the Lord, found him to be faithful, and found, found, found him to plant my feet where they needed to be, you know, I can trust him. I can trust him. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who set themselves against me round about because he is my glory and the lifter of my head. Okay, now that I've convinced you that you need to love your enemies, how? How can I love my enemy? Well, that's a pretty good question. But Jesus answers it. I mean, it's right here in in one of the verses that we read, and we just tend to, you know, blitz past this thing. But here, here, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And let me, let, I'm just going to say something here. It's a bunny trail I didn't take in the first service. But uh, I, I, sometimes I'll hear people say or make the statement that they feel like Christians are persecuted in America. And I just, I just want to go, you big sissy. You know what persecution actually is? You know, you know what it actually means? Anyway, uh, back from the bunny trail. Do you pray for your enemies? Do you pray for them? You, you want to know how to love them? You start praying for them. When you pray... It is amazing what happens when you pray for someone. It, it, it's amazing what, what takes place. Week before last, Barbie talked about a lack of communication and resolving conflict. And, and she talked about how face-to-face -face is amazing. You know, we're not, don't send a text, don't send an email, don't pick up the phone. Face-to-face does amazing things. And let me tell you, face, while face-to-face -face with somebody else will do amazing things, the same thing happens when we get face-to-face -face with our Father about somebody, about something that's going on in our life. Things, things change. Averna Tompkins is uh, uh, one of my favorite preachers I've ever heard share. And uh, she, uh, I don't know, I have no idea how old that woman is now. She, she might be 90 or something, but I bet she still got it. But I heard her, I heard her share one time at our, our church. She, uh, she came and she was preaching there, and she shared about a, a time when she was preaching. Uh, she was pastoring a church, and she was looking out in the congregation, and the Lord called her attention to a particular woman. Now, I, I'm not going to try to focus anywhere because I'm not talking about any of you. But the Lord called her attention to a particular woman who was trouble. How many of you ever known anybody that, you know, was trouble? When you saw them coming, you just went, mm, trouble, 
Three of you. Wow. Uh, well, maybe you'll hear somebody else say this someday, and you'll go, Pastor, guess what I just heard? Anyway, uh, this woman was trouble, and uh, the, the Lord said to her, Do you see that woman, Iverna? And she said, Yes, I do, Lord. <laughs> woman, woman's trouble. And uh, the Lord said, Yeah, I, I need to discipline her. And I've heard, yes, oh, yes, God, amen. You certainly do need to discipline her. Averna was a passionate woman. And, uh, but the Lord spoke to her and said, but I can't. Oh, well, why not, Lord? Well, you see, when I sent her to you, when I sent her to this church, I sent her here because I thought that you guys would encourage her and support her and hold her up so that I could discipline her. But ever since she's been here, I've had to encourage her and support her and hold her up because of you guys trying to discipline her. Oh. You know, when... Let, let, me, let, let me mention one other thing. Uh, I had a situation, a family situation, uh, come up years ago, quite a few years ago. And it was rough. It was really hard. I, uh, I've, I've, uh, I was actually af afraid that there might be a permanent estrangement that would come out of it. Uh, and, yeah, it was rough. And for several years, you know, I just kind of pressed in and uh, tried to keep contact and did keep contact and just tried to keep the line of communication open. And then after a few years, uh, probably two or three years, uh, so, something began to happen. There seemed to be some, some real movement here, an opportunity. And uh, so I, I, I went, wow, that's, that's really great. And the Lord spoke to me. And uh, he said, uh, yeah, there's, there's some movement there, uh, but I have a question for you. When's the last time you prayed about this? And I was like, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, uh, that's what I thought. Would you like to start praying about it again? You see, we, we get in situations. Uh, sometimes they're good situations. Sometimes they're bad situations. But we become so accustomed. We, we're adaptable as as creatures. We've become so accustomed to it that we just kind of, uh, it's just, that's, that's the way it is. And we just, uh, and he went, would you like to start praying about this again? And I, I went, yes, Lord, I would. And so I began to pray every day about that situation. Two weeks later, <laughs> two weeks later, it just, the, the, it blew completely open and reconciliation happened and healing happened. And you know how it happened? Face to face, God brought me face to face with the person that I needed to be face to face with, and the things got said that needed to be said, and healing took place. See, when we pray, when we, when we pray to God about somebody or about, if you talk to God about someone, He will talk to you, and things will happen. He may change them, He may change you, but things will change. And so Jesus says, love your enemies, uh, pray for them. 
couple of things I'm going to close with here. Uh, first one is this. God doesn't ask us to do anything he doesn't do first. It's one of the things that sets him apart from all other gods. Of course, there's a lot that sets him apart from all other gods. He created the universe for one. But he doesn't ask us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. He asked Abraham to sacrifice his son because that's what he was going to do. Say, oh, yeah, well, but Abraham had to do it first. Well, you know, there are mysteries out there. And my Bible says that the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. So, you know, I'm not quite sure what came first. And I don't know if comes first even counts in eternity. You know, I, I don't know. God doesn't ask us to do anything. He, he tells us to love our enemies because that's what he does. That's what he does. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. Christ died for us while we were God's enemies. God loved us. God so loved the world that he gave his son while we were his enemies enemies. And he still loves us. Even as we stumble and stray like the dumb sheep that we are and sometimes seem to still be his enemies, he still loves us. And here's the kicker. The worship team can come on out. Here's the kicker. He is conforming us to the image of Christ. He is conforming us to be to be like him, says over in, in Romans. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among brothers and sisters, uh, many brothers and sisters. God did not call us to defend him. He called us to be like him. That's what he called us to. He, he didn't call us to defend him. He called us to reflect him to the world. You know, there are times that we just kind of feel like, you know, yeah, I'm, 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 God's, I'm God's defender. What? He's your defender if you'll let him be, but you're not his defender. You don't know enough. You're not strong enough. But if you can reflect his image... Jesus said, whoever has seen me, has seen the Father. Whoever has seen the Son, has seen the Father. And our, our commission, our call, is to show the world what God looks like. This is God's plan for your life. You know, we like to, to, to think about the fact that no matter what, God's got a plan for us. And he does have a plan for us, but generally in our mind, we already have a pretty good idea of what that plan is supposed to be. That's our plan. His plan is something exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we can ask or think. His plan is to make you, to make me, look like Jesus so that when we walk out into the world they see him uh, 
There is a piece of good news here, though. I'm going to close with this. And well, those who are going to uh, pray with people, if you if you'd come forward, and, and everyone, just please stand. The piece of good news is this: He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so, might not be, might not be batting over the Mendoza line right now. You might be, you might be hitting in double figures, but someday you're going to bat a thousand because Holy Spirit's going to, going to take you there. Uh, we're going to worship the Lord uh, in a, in a room this size, in a world this fallen. People came who are hurting, people came who had needs. As we worship, if you, uh, if you are one of those people who has a need, uh, don't just stay rooted, come, come. These, these brothers and sisters would love to pray with you. Wherever, wherever two of you agree is touching any one thing, my Father in heaven will do it. So uh, let's worship for a moment, and if you need to come, you come.